for those of you who are kind enough to give us a baby gift in there. We, we really do appreciate y'all doing that, so thank you guys very much. You know, Corey has mentioned a couple different times that I guess I'm the, I'm the first sitting pastor to have a baby. Well, she's having the baby. This gets kind of confusing. But, but, but the first one, and how many years was it? 50. So I was just thinking that maybe that went hand in hand. Does that also mean I'm the youngest pastor that we've ever had? Or, did it, or that's you, that was you. See, I had, a, I had a sinking suspicion that it didn't mean I was the youngest. And that's kind of painful because that kind of should go hand in hand. Um, but that's not going hand in hand. And so anyway, we'll have to, we'll have to figure out how to stop that. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray as we begin. Father, I, 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 I love you, and I just thank you for the privilege of being able to dive into your word this morning. What an unbelievable gift you gave us when you preserved your word, and you gave us access back to you, and you gave us the words of eternal life, and you preserved them in a book, and, and, and God, we just thank you so much for that. We look forward uh, to continuing this worship service this morning in the time of preaching. I pray to God that you would uh, just soften our hearts and that you would help us to receive the truths of your word this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, feel free to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where, we're, is where we are and where we'll begin. Last week we actually finished verse 12 of chapter 4, so we're going to be beginning in verse 13 this morning. And and as we've been studying chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, what we've been seeing is, is that there are some things that, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the, the authors of this book, there, there are some things that they want to be sure that the church of the Thessalonians gets nailed down and that they get into their lives. And up until now, those things that we've been seeing that they need to get nailed down, they, they have to do with their walk and, and how they conducted themselves with their bodies and, and how they conducted themselves with their brothers and their sisters and as well as their testimony with unbelievers. And so we've been studying all those things so far in, in, in chapter four. And so what we're going to see next, though, is, is now Paul, Silas and Timothy are wanting to get the church of the Thessalonians to get some things nailed down concerning their believing loved ones that have already passed away. That's what they want them to get nailed down now. There's some things they wanted them to get nailed down, and that's where they're transitioning. And, and man, with where we have been as a church and, and the losses that we have had recently, man, I, I think we're coming to this passage at a really good time. But, but in the midst of understanding more about what has happened to our loved ones that have passed, that were believers in Jesus Christ, in these verses... What we're also learning is, is we're, we're learning a lot about eschatology. It's, eschatology is just a fancy way of saying end times theology. It's what's going on in the, in the end times. And, and we specifically get some major insight in this passage into the rapture. But, but, but with that said, let's look at it together. Now, we're, we're only going to get to verse 15 this morning, but I wanted to read until the end of the chapter just so that you guys have the full picture in mind as we study the rest of this chapter. Starting in verse 13, it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, 
that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And as you can see, as we read these verses, God is laying a few different things out for us. And again, one of those things are details about the rapture. Now, the word rapture, it's not a Bible word. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the word trinity, right? We use the word trinity to describe the Godhead. Well, the trinity is not a Bible word, but it most certainly is a Bible concept. And so we just use the, the, the word rapture to describe something that's clearly taught in Scripture. Now, just to remind you where we are right now in God's prophetic calendar is, is that there is nothing standing between us and the rapture. That's, that's where we're at. There, there's nothing else that needs to happen that the Bible has prophesied that needs to happen before the rapture can happen. It's the next event. That's what we're looking for, and that's what we're to be preparing ourselves for. As we've seen, that's what the book of 1 Thessalonians has been about this whole time, right? It's actually preparing ourselves for the Lord's coming. That's what this book is all about. You see, there's coming a day when a group of people, it, it might be some of us that are actually in this room, and that group of people will be catapulted off of this earth that will never taste of death that are going to meet jesus in the sky in, in these verses that we just read they, they describe that exact event and then the way the sequence goes and and how this whole thing shakes out just so that it's fresh in your mind is is that the rapture ushers in the tribulation period and the seven year tribulation period ends at the, at the second coming, which is where Jesus physically touches down on earth. Remember, he meets us in the sky at the rapture. That's a different event. He, in, in, in the second coming, then, ushers in the millennium. And that's kind of the, the quick version of the, of the sequence of events of the end times, just so that we have our bearings and so that we have that in mind, and mainly so that it doesn't drive you crazy for the rest of the service going, oh, wait, what was the sequence? How, what, go, what goes next? You're going to be thinking about that the whole message and not listening to anything I'm going to say. So you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to remember what the order was. So that's the order so that you don't drive yourself crazy. But again, those, those, these verses, there, there's some key verses in the Bible where we get details about the rapture. What I want us to be sure that we see this morning is God isn't just laying out those details about the rapture through Paul, Silas, and Timothy so that we understand the logistics of how this whole thing comes together at the end. God is laying out these details about the rapture to teach us some things to anyone who's ever lost someone that they love that was a believer in Jesus Christ. God just clears off some space because 
There are some things God wants those of us who have gone through that type of loss to know. That's the primary purpose of God inspiring Paul, Silas, and Timothy to, to lay all of this stuff out according to the passage. And man, for anyone who has ever lived through the tragic loss of a loved one, aren't you thankful for these verses that I just read? Aren't you thankful for those? That passage that we just read, it may be the most comforting passage in all of the Bible for someone that's grieving the loss of a loved one. And verse 18 even tells us that that's what this passage is in the Bible for. It's what it's intended to do to comfort one another. And I believe the fact that God wanted to make sure that we had all of this nailed down and, and he wanted to make sure that we understood all of these things, I, I think that, it, I think that it, it speaks to God's heart. The fact that he wanted us to know all this, it speaks to his heart. And so I want us to take a minute, number one, understanding God's heart concerning death. God wants to teach us some things about our believing loved ones that, that have passed away. And in doing that, I believe he's, what, what's happening is, is that that's pointing to God's heart. Because he, he lays this out for us in 1 Thessalonians 4, because listen, he didn't want to leave us in a heap in the midst of those things. He didn't want to leave us in a state of devastation. He didn't want to leave us trying to pick up the pieces while not really understanding what happens after death and how the rapture and life and death and all of this stuff works. Because you see, this thing of death, man, it's an unbelievably hard thing to deal with. It's just one of those things that your mind almost can't even process once they're gone. It's like, I just still can't believe it. You know, and it, it, it's one of, and one of the reasons that it's so hard for us to deal with this is because we were never created to deal with it. You realize that? God, the death was not a part of the human experience that God intended for us to have when he created us in the garden. Death came as a result of sin. Romans 5.12 tells us exactly that. It says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. When Adam chose sin, he was choosing a lot more than sin, wasn't he? He also was choosing death. And he chose it for all of us. So now all of humanity has reaped the consequences of that choice. That wasn't what God wanted. God wanted Adam to choose to love and obey him. But Adam chose sin. And now we live in this fallen world that's filled with sin and death and health issues and you name it. But death wasn't supposed to be a part of the human experience. And listen, we need to understand and we need to realize that God understands and he cares what we're going through when we're dealing with death. Remember, God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, and he was faced with all the same trials and all the same tribulations and all the same problems that we have, but he did it without sinning, and he lived those same things, and so he, he hurts alongside of us in the midst of the hurt that we're going through. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, 
yet without sin. You see, God gets it. He actually lived it when he was here on earth. He went through the entire human experience. And he was faced with all the temptations and the trouble and the pain. And he faced all of those things. And so now we can come before God knowing that he's been there. And knowing that as the verse said, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, he feels what we feel. He genuinely cares. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 32, Jesus shows how he cares in a very unique way. Someone, it happens when there's somebody that was, that was deaf and that had a speech impediment that they bring to Jesus in this passage. And it says, and they bring unto him one that was deaf and had, a, had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude. And he put his fingers into his ears and he spit and he touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. Would you focus your attention on verse 34 again with me? Jesus is about to heal this guy. Man, it's an unbelievable occasion. What a wonderful occasion. There's a whole lot to celebrate here. But before he does, you have to love this detail that God shares with us. Before he does, he looks up to heaven where the Father is, and he's, He sighs. And Jesus, he's about to heal this man that has dealt with these health issues as a result of being in this fallen world. And it's as if Jesus is looking up, sighing, as if to say, oh, it wasn't supposed to be like this. Do you see what I mean? It's a joyous occasion, man. This man is going to be able to hear and he's going to be able to talk. But even in the midst of that, Jesus is feeling what this guy is feeling and what he surely must have felt in his life up until now. And he was touched with the feeling of his infirmities. Listen, we have a God in heaven who's not off in some distant land where he's disconnected from the realities that we face as humans. We have a God that lives inside of us and that loves us and that feels what we feel. And what I want us to see is, is the fact that he left for us these verses in 1 Thessalonians 4 are a testament to that. God understood it wasn't supposed to be this way. And so he gives us this passage so we're not left guessing about believing loved ones that have gone home to be with the Lord. And it's important we understand those things as we study those verses. And so we need to understand God's heart concerning death. And the next thing I'd like for us to see as we begin to actually get into these verses, is number two, understanding what we can't be ignorant of. Excuse me, understanding what we can't be ignorant of. Let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 15 again. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Sleep in Jesus means believers that have died. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, hey, there are some things about your dead loved ones that I don't want you to be ignorant of. And, and then he goes on to lay out some of the details about the rapture and the believing loved ones that have passed. Now, now you have to understand, though, this thing of the rapture was making it difficult for the Thessalonians to comprehend how all this is going to shake out in the last days. They were they were under, they didn't quite they were having trouble understanding how does this all shake out with their dead loved ones? How does this thing all work? Where are my dead loved ones now that believe? Do they have glorified bodies yet? How does the rapture affect those believers that have already passed? How does, does the rapture affect that? Now, keep in mind, it wasn't that these guys weren't familiar with the scriptures. Remember Acts 17, it gave us the history of, this, uh, of the Thessalonians coming to faith. And if you'll recall, Paul met the Thessalonians in the synagogue. And so they, and based on the Old Testament scriptures, they would have been very familiar with the second coming. And they would have been very familiar with the fact that believers in Jesus Christ would resurrect from the dead and spend eternity with God. They understood those ideas from the Old Testament, but the rapture and how that plays into this whole thing, not so much. They weren't getting that. There wasn't as much familiarity with the rapture. You know why? Because it was a mystery. It had been a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 tells us that. It says, behold, I show you a mystery. And then he goes on to describe the rapture. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so what Paul says in this passage as he describes the rapture is that he's revealing a mystery to them. There are, there are seven New Testament, New Testament mysteries in the Bible. This is one of them. If you were, if you were in my Sunday school class last year, you, you, you may remember some of this. We went over this. It's, uh, it, but, but, but biblically, here's what we need to understand. Biblically, a mystery isn't something that's still unknown or hidden like we typically think of a mystery. What a mystery is biblically is, a, is something that was previously hidden that has now been revealed. And that's exactly what the rapture was. It had been hidden and was just being revealed you say, well, what about all the pictures and types in the Old Testament and guys like Enoch and all that? Well, those pictures are most certainly there, but no one in the Old Testament was aware of that. They had no idea. There was no one that was aware of it until Paul revealed what the rapture was in the New Testament. And then we were able to see the pictures and types in the Old Testament after that. Then we could understand that. So this is a newer idea to the church of the Thessalonians, and it's a concern. They were wondering how the rapture would affect those that had already passed away. Would the rapture affect those that had already passed negatively, or do those that rapt are raptured have some sort of an advantage over those that have already passed? 
And so with the revealing of the mystery of the rapture, God is sure to inspire Paul, Silas, and Timothy in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15. That's why he frames it in this unique way where you're kind of turning your head. What does that mean? They shall not prevent them which are asleep. The rapture will not prevent them which are asleep. In other words, the rapture is not going to stop or negatively affect your loved ones that have already passed away in any way. The rapture won't prevent them from being resurrected at the same time. And so God puts their mind at ease, and he makes sure that they're not ignorant of that fact. And God wants to make sure that we aren't either. And that leads us to point number three, where we'll look into the resurrection of the dead in a little more detail. Number three, understanding what Jesus' death and resurrection means for us and our loved ones that are asleep in Jesus. Understanding what Jesus' death and resurrection means for us and our loved ones that are asleep in Jesus. Again, asleep in Jesus just means they're believers that have died that were believers in Jesus Christ. But I want us to understand why God describes believers like that. Why does he describe them as being asleep? And and what we have to understand is, is that for our dead loved ones who were believers, their soul and spirit right now, this very second, is with the Lord, but their body is asleep. We see this clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, Therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're comprised of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So where is your, your, where is your believing loved one at this very moment? Their body may be in the ground, but their soul and spirit are with Jesus. Their body may be asleep, but their soul and spirit, they're with the Lord. They're with him right now. And the reason that that's possible is Jesus' death and resurrection, according to the passage that we're studying in 1 Thessalonians 4.14. Again, it connects these two things together. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying, if you believe Jesus died and rose again, then you have to believe that at the rapture, Jesus is going to bring the believers that have already died with him. They're saying that line of thought, that just logically follows. Now, Now understand, even though our believing loved ones that sleep in Jesus are with Jesus at this very moment in soul and spirit, they don't have their new body just yet. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So again, they're with Jesus, but that body is still in that grave or it's still in that ocean or urn or wherever it is. But we see that within this same sequence of of rapturing those that are alive on this planet, rapturing them off of this planet to meet Jesus in the air, when Jesus does that, according to these verses, he's bringing the believers that have already died with him. 
And we'll get into this more in, in, in the next message, but Jesus is bringing their soul and spirit with him. And what's happening is, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.16 is, is that the dead in Christ, the dead that are in those graves, they will rise first. In other words, those decaying bodies, wherever they are, are going to rise and resurrect. Jesus is bringing the soul and spirit with him, and they're going to be joined with soul and spirit in the air. That old body is going to be translated and transformed into a new body as it travels in the air. And that new body is going to be joined with the soul and spirit that Jesus is bringing with him. God is bringing up the bodies of those that are asleep in Jesus. Their bodies are just asleep. They will be resurrected. They will be redeemed. Romans 8.23, it talks about this the same thing it says and not only they but ourselves also which uh, which have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body paul's talking about the fact that because the holy spirit now lives inside of us but we're still trapped in this body of flesh that's Warring with that spirit that, that we groan and long for the day that we'll be freed from these fleshly, sinful bodies. And the day that we, these bodies that, that we're trapped in will finally be redeemed. Man, don't you feel like that sometimes? Amen. Goodness. But at the rapture, we're going to receive those new bodies that are incapable of sinning. And he'll resurrect the bodies of those that are asleep in Jesus. And they'll receive bodies incapable of sinning as well. We're going to receive it at the rapture on the way up. And so are the, those that are dead in Christ. We too are all going to receive these perfect bodies, even those of us who don't taste death. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, it says, And as we have borne the image of the earthy, talking about Adam and his fleshly sin nature that we inherited as we have borne the image of the earthy we shall also bear the image of the heavenly do you realize in the last part of that verse what it's saying we're not just getting redeemed bodies we're getting redeemed bodies that will bear the image of the heavenly <laughs> our bodies will be like christ's philippians 2 21 it says who shall, it says, who shall change our vile body? I feel that more and more every day. More and more vile every day. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? Wow, that's an incredible reality. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those believers that have already passed, their bodies will go from dust and decay, and they will also resurrect, and they will be changed to be like Christ's glorious body. And for those of us that are raptured, that are still alive, our bodies won't go from dust and decay, but a lot of us will go from out of shape and wrinkly, and we will be changed into Christ's glorious body. 
man, I really need to exercise more so that God doesn't have so much work to do on me <laughs> on the way. Right now, I'm putting him at a real disadvantage. But man, what a, what a change that will be. That's the promise we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The promise that all those that believe in him will be resurrected, whether that we're, we're resurrected or raptured off this planet alive, or whether it will be our dead bodies resurrected off this planet. Either way, because of Jesus' resurrection, we will be resurrected. That's what verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4 is saying. It's saying if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then you have to believe that he's going to resurrect the bodies of those that are asleep in Jesus at the rapture. These two ideas are inextricably connected. 1 Corinthians 15 lays out the same idea from 1 Thessalonians 4 when it says in verses 16 through 18, it says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. In other words, if a resurrection isn't possible, then that means Jesus wasn't raised in resurrection. Verse 17, And if Christ be not raised... Your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And what this passage makes clear is the fact that everything we believe falls apart like a house of cards if there is no resurrection. Because if Christ wasn't raised, verse 17, then we're still in our sins and we believe in vain and we are just out here, I'm just speaking words into the wind this morning. And then our believing loved ones that have passed, they're perished. That's it for, that's it for them. But the opposite is true too though. If Christ did resurrect, skip to verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. You see, Christ really did rise from the dead and he was the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, he was the first one to ever die, come back from the dead to never die again. Verse 21, for since by man came death, that man was Adam... By man came also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus, God in a man's body. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. By Jesus being the firstfruits of them that slept, by dying and raising again to never die again, he has now given us the power through faith in him to do the exact same thing. And so for all of our friends and family that have, that have passed, that at some point in their life they called upon the name of Jesus to save them, just like Jesus, they died at the rapture, they will resurrect, and they will never die again. They died in their soul and spirit went to be with the Lord, but at the rapture, their bodies will be resurrected and they'll receive a body like Christ and as their old body is literally changed into their new body and merges with their soul and spirit that Jesus brings with them. And just like Jesus, they will die, resurrect, and never die again. 
And that's what Jesus' death and resurrection means for us and for our loved ones that sleep in Jesus. So, so we need to understand what we, what we can't be ignorant of. God wants us to understand what Jesus' death and resurrection means for us and our loved ones that sleep in Jesus. But in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, we also learn that Jesus wants us to understand sorrow. He wants us to understand sorrow, understanding sorrow. It's, it's great to, to have faith and to understand all of these things that we've covered this morning. And it, it's great to have faith that we know where our loved ones in Christ are. But that doesn't make it easy. The way I've said it in the midst of the death that I've experienced is, I'm happy for him, but I'm really, really sad for me and my family. And, and, and listen, like we looked at at the beginning of the service, God gets that, and, and, and God cares. But because he cares, he wants sorrow to have its proper place. And we need to understand what that is. Letter A, it's place. Understanding sorrow's place. We need to understand what sorrow's place really is. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4.13 with me. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, here it is, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Like we saw earlier, because God became a human, He understands the human experience and so he understands what we go through when we lose a loved one he feels what we feel and sorrow is a perfectly natural emotion to have when dealing with death and so god gets that it's a perfectly natural emotion to have when you're dealing with something that you were never created to deal with but god's telling us don't sorrow though like those that don't believe those who don't believe have no hope, so understand that they, so it's understandable that they sorrow the way that they do. But that's not the case for us. So though we sorrow and sorrow has its place, we don't sorrow like those who don't believe. Because that thing of sorrow, man, that thing is a, that's a really debilitating thing. It, it really is. It causes people a lot of problems. And I, and I want to make sure that we understand that about sorrow. Letter B, it's, it's problems. Sorrow has some major problems that are associated with it. When God tells us something, we better perk our ears up and, and, and we need to understand the problems that living lives overcome with sorrow can cause. Because, you know, as I, as I was studying sorrow in the Bible, you, you could argue that there's more. But there's at least four things that are connected to sorrow that cause us some major problems that I want us to see. Number one, it can swallow us up. It can, it can swallow us up, that thing of sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, So that contrary wise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. You see, sorrow's connected with this thing of being swallowed up. Sorrow can swallow you up, man. 
Yeah, that's the idea. It's like if the ocean were to swallow you up, you would drown in it. That's the idea, drowning in sorrow. It's hard to do what we've been called to do and be what we've been called to be when we're drowning. Biblically, sorrow can also take hold of us, number two. It can, it can take hold of us. Sorrow is connected to this in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 14, it says, The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. You see, sorrow can, it can take hold of us. It's like sorrow is literally handling us and controlling us and taking possession of us. The Spirit of God isn't the one calling the shots. Sorrow is. Sorrow has its place, but it can possess us if we're not careful. And if we sorrow like those that don't believe, biblically, sorrow is also connected to a broken spirit. Number three, it can break our spirit. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 13, it says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Listen, this isn't a, a reference to the, to the Holy Spirit. It's our, it's our spirit as in our emotions, the seat of our emotions. I mean, we still use the word spirit that way, right? You guys, rem- you guys remember, that all, you, all you cheerleaders remember it. You know, how's it go? We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. All right, all right. So you guys knew that one too. It's that kind of, it's that kind of spirit that we're talking about here. And, and in this sense, it's the spirit connected to our emotions and our motivation and our, our drive to stand up for truth, to do what's right. Too much sorrow, man, that thing can break our spirit to where we just don't have the drive to push through the day-to-day in our lives. And the last one I want us to see that's closely linked to this one is, is sorrow can cause us to, to not do what we've been called to do. It can cause us to not do what we've been called to do. Prior to Jesus' crucifixion, when, when Jesus, he's about to be betrayed. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he's praying. And he's told his disciples to pray. He says, pray, guys, so that you won't be tempted. Hey, Jesus knew that in the midst of what was to come with the crucifixion, that they would be tempted to deny him. And they would be tempted to desert him. And if you'll recall, Jesus comes to the disciples three different times. And each time he comes to them, instead of praying, these guys are sleeping, man. I've always read that going, good grief, guys, get a, get a hold of yourselves, man. Y'all and Rip Van Winkle would get along good. You know, like, come on, what is wrong with you? You can't stay awake, you can't control that. But have you ever noticed why it was that they were so doggone tired? Luke 22 and verse 45, it tells us. It says, And when he, that's Jesus, rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. 
And he said unto them, why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Well, isn't that something? They were sleeping for sorrow. Have you ever seen that before? They they were overtaken with so much sorrow, thinking about what was going to take place with Jesus, that it literally put them to sleep. Maybe that's what goes on in this room sometimes on Sunday morning. That's why they're so tired that they literally couldn't keep their eyes open. Listen, that, cause, that sorrow, it kept them from doing what Jesus had called them to do. Jesus told them to be praying, and they couldn't even do that simple task. You see, sorrow can keep us from doing what God has called us to do, too. God has called us to be his ambassadors. God has called us to, to walk in the Spirit. God has called us to be blameless and holy when he returns, and God has called us to do a lot of things, but that sorrow is debilitating, man. It will keep us from doing what we've been called to do. Instead of doing what we've been called to do, we'll be sleeping. We won't be doing what we've been called to do. We'll be doing something other than that. Romans 13 and verse 11, it teaches us that, man, it's high time we wake out of sleep because the hour It's short, and it's time to get busy with what God has called us to do and what God called us to be. That sorrow, though, it'll put us to sleep. It'll keep us from what we've been called to. And so what I want to make sure that we see as we've looked at these four things that are biblically connected to sorrow, I want to make sure that we see that God is teaching us that it's never His will in the life of a believer that we sorrow like an unbeliever. It's his will that we don't sorrow like an unbeliever. We, we, we've seen all that sorrow is, is connected to in the Bible, and God does not want those things in the life of a believer, but there's one key, key reason why we don't have to sorrow like that. We, we saw what sorrow leads to in our lives, but here's why it's not necessary to sorrow like an unbeliever because we have hope we have hope number five on your study sheet understanding that we have hope first thessalonians 4 13 god phrases this just the way he wanted to and it says that we sorrow not even as others which have no hope You see, God is pointing to something for us when he chose to word it this way. He could have easily said, even as others which don't believe, right? That would have been an even more simple way to put it. But he's reminding us of something. He's reminding us of the hope that we have. Now, we have to understand that before we came to faith in Christ as as unbelievers, we had no hope. We had no hope. Ephesians 2.12, it tells us exactly that. It says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. When we were without Christ, we were aliens. We were strangers. We were without God. And quite frankly, we had no hope. If you're here this morning without Jesus, let me ask you, What are you hoping in? What is your hope in? What are you hoping in in the future? 
If you get in a car wreck and when you leave this room today and this is your last day on earth, what is your hope in? Because without Jesus, I'm just here to tell you, there, there is no hope. But what 1 Thessalonians 4.13 is reminding us is for those that believe, you have hope. And for those that don't believe, they can have hope if they just choose to place it in the person of Jesus Christ. Because death is not the end for us. And it's not the end for our believing loved ones that have passed because we're looking to our blessed hope. You know what our blessed hope is? Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 describes it like this. Looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our blessed hope is the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And listen, it's not a hope like, I hope so. It's a hope like it's just as sure as if it's already happened, hope. That's exactly how the Bible commonly uses the word hope. And like we've already seen, for those of us that believe when Jesus appears at the rapture, Jesus is taking those of us that are alive with him, and he's bringing our unbelieving loved ones with him, Jesus appearing is our blessed hope. So check this out. Whether we live or whether we die, Jesus is either coming for us or he's coming with us. That, my friends, is a blessed hope. We're going to get to see Jesus face to face. And man, what an incredible day that's going to be. And if that wasn't good enough, can you believe that God is going to reunite us with our believing loved ones that have passed? When that loved one took their last breath on this earth, that wasn't the end. That wasn't the end because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which guaranteed the future resurrection of all those that believe. That's why we have hope. That's why we have a, a lively hope, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a lively hope, y'all, because our hope is alive, because Jesus is alive. It's a blessed hope. It's a lively hope. So if you've lost someone in your life that's a, that's a believer, and someone says, I'm very sorry to hear that you've lost your, your husband, your wife, your dad, your mom, or whoever it is. You can say to them, you can say, no, I, I didn't lose them. You can't lose something when you know where it is. And I know where they are. And it's just a matter of time before we see them again, y'all. The reason we don't sorrow like those who have no hope because we have hope it's a blessed hope it's a lively hope and i want to end this morning asking you the same question that jesus asked In, excuse me in john 11:25 Jesus is about to resurrect Lazarus, but 
But Martha doesn't know it. His sisters don't realize it yet. And Jesus is talking to Martha and he says, he says in John 11, he says, Jesus said unto her, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Sorry, I didn't expect it to hit me like that. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And I'm asking you this morning, do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe it? Do you, because, do you believe that because Jesus resurrected that if you're saved, you'll spend forever with him? And you're believing loved ones that you'll never really die? Do you believe it so much? And is that so much the hope of your life that it can cause you to not sorrow like those who have no hope? And I'm asking some of us this morning, have you ever come to the point in your life where you've believed on Jesus' name and his work on the cross and called on his name to save you from your sins? Like Jesus said in verse 26, believest thou this? Do you believe? Today could be the day that you place your faith in the re this resurrection that we've been talking about all morning. Would you do that this morning if you've never done that? Would you not leave this room until you've done this? Will you grab me? Will you grab Jerry? Will you grab Corey? If you're a female, we'll get you with a female. Grab somebody. But nail that thing down before you leave. Jesus, we love you and we're so thankful for the blessed hope that we have in you what an incredible reality. What an incredible God that we serve. We thank you for your resurrection and for the power that that was and the power that that put in our life that, we, that it goes hand in hand with the fact that you rose and all those that believe in you, we're coming with you. What an incredible thought, God. I pray for those that are grieving the loss of loved ones in this room. I pray that you would be there their comfort and their strength. I pray that they would find hope in you and in the reality that we're going to see you one day, but we're also going to see those loved ones again one day as well. And I pray that you would just minister to our hearts and make us more like you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.